Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. Today's guest is Hilary McDonald, an archaeologist and photographer by trade, but she's the fourth filmmaker in our series of conversations with Cinematoba filmmakers, and her film, We Haven't Yet Said Thanks, is available now. Hillary and I talk about her film that she shot in Flin Flon, where she's from. We talk about the mining industry and how that culture permeated that town. We talk about the art scene in Flin Flon and how her film combined the themes of generosity, change, industry, globalization, with respect and gratitude for the land. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Hillary McDonald. She is a archaeologist and photographer by trade, but thanks to Cinematoba, also a filmmaker. Hillary, thank you for joining us. Hey, Nolan. Thanks. Uh, So we're going to talk about quite a bit of things here. You have a very cool film coming out soon uh, called We Haven't Yet Said Thanks. Uh, But before we get to We Haven't Yet Said Thanks, your short film that you uh, are debuting at Cinematoba, I just want to learn a little bit about you. So when people ask you, what's your story? What do you tell them? What is your story, Hillary? Oh, yeah, um, I think I have a good story so far. I am born and raised in Flin Flon, Manitoba. And um, yeah, I think... A lot of people in the South or Winnipegers, they're, they might have some ideas about what the North is about. And I've, yeah, had a really great life growing up in the North. And my uh, parents have always worked in industry, as with my brother and myself and all my neighbors. So this film was, yeah, quite biographical. It turned out to be um, just kind of getting... I take it's very much a pandemic film. So mm. for the last three years, my life has changed where I have moved back to Flin Flon. I was kind of all over the world for the last couple of decades, but I just decided to come back and come home. My parents are getting older, so it was a good chance to come home. And mm. yeah, so this grant happened and I just took advantage of it. So it's um, yeah, I kind of discovered a lot of things that I'd wanted to do at home in my professional life that I never got a chance to do. So I've been an archaeologist for many years, and I've worked in the Middle East, and I've worked throughout Western Canada, um, but I haven't really commented that or thought about that much, that aspect of life in northern Manitoba. So I got to do that a little bit. In Flin Flon, the, the mine has, has changed the deposit, the original deposit that's been uh, being pulled from for the last 80 years or so. It's now um, finished its life. So now... The people of my town are now commuting about two hours away. So it's a whole shift that, you know, I got to be a part of because my brother does that as well. And I also got to go underground last year before the mine closed um, as a as a total guest, as a photographer. And that's something that I've wanted to do for about 20 years. So it's been a really nice time to be home now. Um just getting to do some artistic things that I never, ever had time to do mm. in my life where I was abroad or in the city. What are some of the misconceptions about Flin Flon and the North in general that that you uh, continue coming up against or frequently hear that you're like, right. that's not the way it is? Well, it it's, it's different things to different people um, on film. Like there's actually a really beautiful film that came out this year on the hockey team. And it, it's stunning. It's a, it's a real piece of art. 
And there's uh, an incredible art scene. And I think uh, friends and neighbors have been doing that. It started in probably the 1940s and it had a resurgence for the last 20 years of artists and choir members and playwrights and musicians and composers and filmmakers and there's muralists and painters and there's a lot of really interesting people that with a bit of coaxing over the last 20 years and leadership that Flinflon is very, very much an artistic community. So I'm, cool. yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to be a part of that. Love that. So um, w- let's talk about, we haven't yet said thanks. Can you give me the quick sort of 30 second synopsis? What is it? Oh, what are you hoping okay. to say? Yeah. Uh, the elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, so the theme uh, issued by Cinematoba was about the spirit of generosity And so I think, yeah, by going underground last year in the mine as it uh, closed in June 2022, I was able to go as a photographer and I I found it like very haunting and very beautiful Mm -hmm. and I had some really nice moments. And I talked to a lot of the guys who are, you know, co-workers of my brother or people that knew my father and, and people were quite wistful about the changes like they they we've had it really good in flimflon and it's a time of flux and a time of change and things are moving on and there's a lot of changes to the community and all those questions about how do you be a single industry town in the north but also when you get out in the big wide world you know globalization and the like the rise of electrification of transport it's going to put a big boom on mining again. So we have everything here, but everything's just changing. It's just, it's really complex now. And I just, yeah, took time in the pandemic to be there and to be in it and to see how people were thinking and feeling about it, but knowing that the world is going to come knocking for these minerals that our landscape has. So how do we, how do we address that? So those thoughts on my observations on people being really, apprehensive and a little scared of all the changes like we, we've had it really good we've really benefited no matter if you've worked in the mine yourself or you've had a like a really nice life in flimflon and able to you know go around the world like i have and and pursue other things it's because that we've benefited from these rocks so i wanted to say that mm. so i wanted to say that in a way that we've you know, so many issues, of course, of conservation and mine reclamation. And what do you do with a lot of the mess and a lot of the environmental laws, which are which are all important things. But I wanted it to go deeper than that, to say that, like, we've never really thanked the land for everything that it's given. And of course, uh, people that lived on the land before the communities now, that was just a part of the way it was done. They were a part of the landscape and thanks was always given to what you've received from it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to touch back on those things as well. Beautiful. I mean, gratitude and generosity are very, you know, they go hand in hand in a way. Can you just talk about how those two concepts relate to each other a little bit? Gratitude, I think, is just the the realization, as I said, at the end of my film and acknowledgement that we're a part of something and you you treat well what you're connected to. What exactly that means is up to you. But if you're if you're connected to something bigger than yourself, such as including the rocks in your landscape full of 
amazing forests and wonderful lakes and natural life and the fishing and the hunting, all those common things that Flim Flon is known for. But the rocks have always kind of been forgotten. Mm. So I just wanted to re like reel it back a little bit and say that like, you know, there's someone that we've been forgetting in this in this conversation. So just having a, a gratitude for for the thing that's that we've kind of forgotten over the years. Yeah, maybe a little bit taken for granted just because it's always been there and it's always been Perhaps. providing. It's silent and it's heavy and it doesn't move and but it's you know people believe it's alive and every much a part of the the natural landscape as everything else is. A lot of the concepts and themes that you're talking about, you know, change, fear of change, evolution, growth, um, all of these things. I think people are really after and during the pandemic really considering more than they had before. Um, do you think that this is kind of a you know a, a convergence of right time, right place, you're born, you're, you went back home. Like all these things are kind of happening at the same time to come together for, for, we haven't yet said thanks. Like talk about just the time, the uh, coincidence of it all. And just how everyone is kind of thinking about a lot of these themes and, and for you to be able to express it in a, in the film medium is really cool. And I think really timely for where we are as a society and as a, as a planet really. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can incorporate all that, but yeah, for me, I, I very much wanted to come home and just be in the North while the world was going through a huge change, knowing that my neighbors will, like, if things get really bad, um, my neighbor, like I'm close to fresh water and lakes and mm. my neighbors have fish and meat and everyone's takes care of each other. And, and I didn't really get a sense of that in the city with observing the chaos of the grocery store. And, and I really felt a call to come home. And, and I think I don't want to speak for Christy, the dance artist in this film, but she has lived all over the world uh, through doing her art and through her, her dance and just working in the most amazing experiences. But she also a few years ago had a call to come home and just to build a home and have a family and just have that commitment and, and yeah, I think a lot of people have done that, but just expressed it in different ways. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll be in Flim Flon in the future, but for those three years of the pandemic, I was I was very much a, a Flim Flon Northern resident. Form of the record, what is it a Flin Flonian? Is it a Flin Flon Flin Flonita? I don't know. I have no idea how to oh, refer I think to a Flin Floner. It's quite Flin an Flonner, active okay. verb. Yeah. Very cool. Um what you're saying kind of reminds me of an old, an old, I can't remember where I got it. I think it was in a friend's, on a friend's poster or something, but the quote is we travel the world in search of what we need and we return home to find it. It seems yeah. like we're, we're always kind of going places and finding the things and looking, but then at the end of the day, what, what we really need is community belonging, you know, take care of each yeah. other, the things that you're yeah. kind of talking about. Yeah. A sense of expression yeah mm, yeah yeah I, I feel I just had this conversation yesterday with a friend um I can I'm a nobody in the city and that's okay because there there's a million people but at home I can get stuff on the wall I can get stuff danced I can get stuff exhibited I can phone the guys and I can get a five meter art print printed on a geological prod, uh, sorry, plotter. Yeah, I can just get these things done because I can move through, you know, you can, you know, the barter, the small town favors, you know, you remember someone and, oh yeah, I, you know, can I 
can you, can, does anybody have this book that I need? Oh yeah. The guy's got it in the city. Oh, I'm going to the city. I'll grab the book for you. Yeah. It's, I really like that type of life where you, mm-hmm. I, I feel I can really get stuff done yeah. through connection. That's, and I, that... I never, ever got a sense of that in the city. Mm-hmm. That resonates with me. I'm from Russell, Manitoba, small yeah. town, about 1500, yeah. maybe 2000 yes. people. So yeah, the exact same vibes you you call in favors and you and it's you know that's generosity you can you're willing to ask and someone can respond and you do something great for them in return and it's a nice act and I really feel that in flimflon over the last couple years of of yeah like I've been home for three years but about for the past six years just with seasonal work that I've been able to do I've been able to spend a lot more time just working in Western Canada and abroad, but being able to be home for big chunks of time and, and artists need space and time to get stuff done. It, it yeah. doesn't always happen just on the the weekends of a nine to five job. So I, I've been really thankful for that. No kidding. Well, yeah. yeah. So speaking of your nine to five photographer slash archeologist, um, I want to talk a little bit about photography versus videography and just sort of the subtle differences and, and, and what you had to consider in the video, in the film versus things that you don't have to, you know, if you just have a camera. So maybe just talk about the difference, the subtle differences and the major differences of the, those two different mediums and, yeah. and how you approached well, your film. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause that was my biggest learning curve. So mm-hmm. we started filming in October and my first, uh, my first, originally this film was going to be just a series of interviews about the different ways that Manitoba understands rock mm. through industry and talking to a geologist versus uh, talking to Indigenous people about the sacred places of rock formations in Manitoba, of which, um, you know, they're, they're north to south, east to west, of course. But that kind of shifted. Uh, and of course, it, it's it, this is half of Christie's work as well. And Christie's a dance artist. So it was going to be very difficult having these long interviews and dance components in a short film that was supposed to be around 15 minutes. So my first uh, in-talking interview with a geologist was great. We went out for a hike and looked at an old mine reclamation site and he talked about the history, but immediately the weather picked up and I didn't have the right equipment and I didn't have a you know, on and on and on the, mm-hmm. the wind blew out the sound and the, I didn't know the stabilizer. And mm-hmm. so I'm very much a stills photographer who gradually learned the big bad word, uh, world of active filmmaking. And that was a huge shift for me. So I found myself, I couldn't walk and talk with the camera. I didn't really understand my stabilizer. It was really, <laughs> The, I'm all I started this in October the weather pretty much killed the batteries in 40 minutes mm-hmm. it, was, it was a lot of technical challenges so it gave me from the start a huge respect for people who shoot film uh stills is quite easy you know when I see it I know I have it mm. there's no doubt I don't doubt myself in stills at all right I know I have it, but when I was walking and talking and trying to conduct an interview in uh, October 31st outside, absolutely impossible. So yeah. the A, the footage was unusable. B, I felt the foot the story was going to go in a different direction. So even working with the dancer, of course, um, of course, video is the best because you capture that span of movement. But 
the camera setup was I had, I only had two pro cameras with me and I have different lenses. I didn't have a lot of memory cards. I'm in the North. I, I can't just zip to Best Buy and, mm -hmm. you know, get and finding, um, yeah, finding CF cards anymore and a slew of batteries. And, you know, it took me forever to get a stabilizer because I kind of put the call around up North to any photographers if they had a, a gimbal that I could use. So I, I just ordered ordered a small one for myself it felt like just such a crazy device that it was really hard to figure out so photographing dance you know your dancer is moving on the landscape so beautifully but you you totally have to think and you have to watch and watch and watch and almost anticipate mm -hmm. because Christy drove this she she just she performed and I didn't want to um I had an idea of where she was going to go and what we were going to do, but like the stage was hers and I was responding to her. So technically I had to be ready. And that was, I found it really stressful because I'm trying to watch her and follow her, but I'm also trying to keep my focus. I'm also trying to keep my exposure. I'm worried about a hundred different things and also, you know, not falling on my face working outside on a rocky landscape right it's reminded me of the those old um performers who would keep 10 plates spinning at the same time yeah. and you're, you have to run back and forth yeah that's that's hilarious yeah. so yeah. tell me about christy tell me did you know what the dance was going to look like was it more um interpretive was it was it a choreographed thing like t just tell me about a yeah. without spoilers just um, tell me about that process yeah Christy and I have worked together on two or three other projects over the last six or seven years. So I, um, I, I don't know her that well, but I think we're on the same wavelength uh, for art things. And she, you know, she's so generous and so lovely to be photographed. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, there's a real comfort and a trust, I think, for mm. her to just emote her feelings and move on the landscape and and caress a rock and touch a boardroom table mm -hmm. and do all those things and willing to be captured and I'm kind of willing to capture it. So it's yeah, it's a really nice we have we've just found a really uh nice relationship and she suggests things but she's also very much an artist who likes to just have things come they'll just come forward just let it come mm. and I'll capture it as long as I can get the technical stuff I've got it and then so that's our relationship very just cool. kind of being very very prepared nothing really scripted but we we do talk about the idea of kind of where we are and what we want to do always fighting the weather always fighting the elements she's so brave because she's danced so many times in howling wind and 25 below for some different projects that we've done wow but yeah very very much a generosity to be kind of willing for to be trusted by you know what I see and what I edit and what gets on my camera yeah that collaborative process is so important and yeah yes. you're giving of yeah. yourself and and asking and it's it's a push and pull but also you know you, you're yeah. probably surprised by what you're being given and then and vice versa um so that collaboration is also with the mentors that Cinematoba had paired you with can you talk a little bit about yours and how they helped uh, how she helped to uh, just get you through this and, and help you out. Yeah, no, Danielle was great. And she has, uh, yeah, we had some long talks and it's, it's really good. She's 
very, very focused on how expressive on film dance can be. And she was always sending me references to visuals or things that she's seen at film festivals because she's, you know, at the top level of Canadian filmmakers. So she has just access and she has such an amazing frame of reference, which was really nice because I'd seen dance stuff and I'd seen kind of slow, poetic, sparse, which is my aesthetic anyway. I'd seen that before, but to actually be in charge of doing mm -hmm. it was was a little bit different. So, yeah, no, Danielle was a, a wonderful mentor and very much uh, cut to the chase. Just say it. Uh, she won't sugarcoat things. It was really good. But I think, yeah, through the metaphors, she really understood what I was what I was trying to do. That's awesome. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about some behind the scenes stories or moments or th like memories that you have of making this film where both happy, joyous, sad, terrible, all of the, all of the, oh, gamut of um, um, it was just a constant fight with the weather. Mm. Uh, we started like we got, uh, you know, the most, when I talked to the geologist, which didn't make the cut, but it was such a stormy day and talking about mine reclamation and going to that original site uh, from I think around 1915 or so and you wouldn't even know that there used to be a mine there wow. and it's kind of gone but it was good to go there because the story isn't about reclamation it's it's it goes again it goes deeper than that mm. so it was good to have that as my first uh, site visit and know that I I just didn't want this film to be a lot of walking and talking and opinions I didn't you know, I didn't want to be an enemy. I didn't want to make an enemy of mining. It's it's very much been a friend. So yeah, so Christy and I, we we were just hoping to just really notice like different locations. And we talked about different roads and what has a great rock cut. And and then I, you know, I fulfilled my dream by uh, when I moved to Flimflon, I lived in a beautiful cabin, which I've always wanted to do. So I'd go snowshoeing and I was literally location scouting on my snowshoes because I, I wanted to find a big rock face that would be like kind of a big panoramic backdrop. And I did. So I can send you a still, which is really funny. And it's we're just, you know, I'm, of course, hauling in 20 pounds of camera gear and tripods on a sled. And I'm sinking into the snowbank because we're walking across a lake and we're all exhausted. But it's actually beautifully sunny out. So we got some really, really nice footage of the the main rock wall, which was just a, about a half an hour walk from my cabin. Cool. But yeah, very much sinking into the the snowbanks on the lake and wow. just laughing our heads off. And even Christy, she'd she'd do like a beautiful emotion and movement at the rock wall, but then she'd pause for a minute and like slump right down in the snowbank and she'd just start laughing so I do have that on film we could probably make a blooper reel but so it's not meant to be so serious all the time right but yeah the weather was very much a character um just praying to because we didn't we started so late like I started shooting in October and we perhaps shot the kind of the golden dress you know party good times the boom the bust that type of scene on like it was a beautifully golden it was a really cold day I think it was October or November and that um you know the sun just came out it was the golden hour as photographers mm. refer to mm -hmm. and the light was perfect and I we just got so lucky and then again technical problems with the cards the right speed on the cameras my frame rate was probably too high so the right speed wasn't the card wasn't 
participating that well. So I just thought, well, it's golden and so beautiful. And she's in the sparkle dress and the, you know, the grandfather coat and all these costumes were very much a metaphor for the film. So that was the day that we shot the stills. And I, as soon as I shot that still, I'm like, that's the poster. Mm. So a lot of really lucky moments, um, even with the sound. Uh, my friend in Toronto did the majority of the sound, but I collected a lot of the sound just on my Zoom recorder locally. And on the very last day, the lake that I was living at, it the ice candled, which is kind of a, a nice metaphor for change because the, the ice just totally gives up its structure mm. and the, you know, becoming water again just, just happens in one day. It was amazing. Well, that's that was going to be my next question because with such a heavily metaphored story, yeah. you, you can't guarantee people are going to get necessarily what you want them to get out of it per se sure. but yeah. what are you what are you hoping people what after they see your film what are you hoping they leave with even if it's just yeah. a concept or a thought or anything like that what are you hoping people get from um, it? yeah thanks for that question um the film I think could exist as a silent film mm. I think the film could exist as the film plus the soundtrack it I actually added in the narration I wrote it a couple days before because I was like everything that we haven't got to I don't I didn't want to start with a script and Cinematoba like they were of course very concerned because I didn't feel I had a story and I'm like I think I do mm. it's just not a question and answer type of story I think we're just saying the rock's going to carry us through all of these choices and all of these landscapes in this house and the skyline and the rock is going to be exhausted and the rock is going to be in the boardroom knowing it's a commodity. The rock is kind of the conscience through this whole thing. So it's going to walk through these different situations. So what are we leaving at the end? And I felt without the narration, it was a little bit vague still. Some people got it. Danielle was uh, my mentor, a dance film artist. She was good. But other people that like more clarity, that work in documentary, they were like, uh, yeah, you're you're going to have to write this script to fill in these blanks. So, yeah, very much the script, which normally is the first thing that gets okayed in a film process. It was my very last thing. And I was working with my voice artist and we I was still changing verbs and words and things like right up into the last minute, I just had to commit, but I just wanted the words to not drive the story. It's very much a dance film and the soundtrack is also a character. And I wanted that to be strong. The words just kind of fill in what we haven't gotten to that clearly. Love it. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. Uh, so at the end of our time together on the Because and Effect podcast, we do a little segment called Just Because, where it's seven questions about the seven or seven questions about the causes that you care about and the effect that it has had on your life. Are you okay to go through those with us? Okay, sure. All right. Question one, what is the very first cause that you ever remember caring about? Um, to answer that question, maybe my earliest, I've always been a really good observer. Even as a child, I was very, very much a, a little kind of Sherlock Holmes. Um, sensitive to the world. Yeah. Very sensitive, very, very observant. So probably the, the difference of growing up in the North and uh, 
going down, you know, going down to the city for you know, flim kids, they're half, half the time they're in the city. It was the eighties. You're just always in the city for errands and there's no online shopping. And we're just always in Winnipeg and always in Saskatoon and always connected. So I think early on, I knew that wasn't the story for everyone. Like mm. my, my mother's foreign. So we were abroad when we were kids and, <laughs> And I think early on, I did see quite a divide between, uh, you know, being a rural northern kid, but rural for the most part in Canada means farming, but it was always so different that we were northern mining, but very, very, some were very, very comfortable. And I started to see pretty early on that, yeah, that story wasn't common for everyone. It was, it was quite a divisive story. Very, very true. Yeah. Awesome answer for sure. Uh, so question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What would you do in support of your current cause? So the thing that you're most passionate about right now, if you could just snap your fingers and something would happen, how would you support the cause that you, uh, that you are currently fighting oh. for? Um, I think if I had unlimited funds and the unlimitedness, I would just encourage people to be uh, more educated on uh, the past and where we come from and where our neighbors and our friends and our families have come from and that the world is, uh, it's such a small world, we're all so connected. And um, some of the issues in the modern world we're having now, read stuff from the 1920s. It's, mm. the, it's the same thing in a, in a different day. So yeah, I think I'd probably encourage just more appreciation, more study, more research into the past because we we do uh, forget as a culture, and it's 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 always it's so hard to know where to even start. And the people that do work in heritage and history, it's it's hard to make a living doing those things. And right. I think they're very, very important for the future. Yeah, and then that leads to empathy once you understand the context of someone's story. Yes. It's it's easier to empathize. Yeah. Great answer for sure. Uh question three. What's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma? What's the biggest stigma about about that cause of, you know, just the lack of knowledge and understanding about the cyclical nature of history? I think we think that up to now we're the best that's ever been. Mm. And and I think that's really, really unfair to people of the past, like the billions and billions of lives that have been around here for you know tens and of thousands of years that we're we're not we're not it mm. you know they didn't all go for us to be here and to have what we have we have to be appreciative of it but we still have so much to learn and i think people in the future will kind of uh kind of laugh at us a little bit to think that oh like the bravado that we have and thinking we know all this and that we're we're masters of this world. Like we're really not. Yeah. Yeah. I see that within the context of people thinking like, Oh, I wouldn't have been racist or I wouldn't have been sexist back in, back in those days. That's those people like, and it's just such a short sighted uh, stance, but yeah, great answer. Um, There's a a phrase I do like where like you can still, I'll have to find it. I can't quote it directly verbatim, but like you can, you can still participate in your full life and still hope for like a a better change like you can we can still be minors 
and still be concerned about pollution and environmental conservation. Like we can still benefit from mining, yeah. but we'll, we're just trying to shift the needle. And the only way you can do that is by, you know, by having a, a good standard of living. Yeah. Yeah. I so, think there's a lot of absolutists who are like, you can never do this or you have to yeah. always do that. And there's no nuance anymore. So that, yeah. that I think that speaks yeah. to what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's just a lot of complexity. Like we can benefit from mining and still shift the needle to be that we have to do better. And even, you know, companies can do better and they can look to local people that live on this land for those answers. Yeah. Beautifully said. Uh, question four, what's a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you're proud of and can share with us? Oh, finishing this film. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, yeah, there's a few times where I, I didn't think it was going to come together. I think we had too many stories. I shot perhaps too much footage. It was really hard to whittle down to 15 minutes. Every single word was considered and I still might not have gotten it all right. Yeah, I was still changing verbs and just really, really analyzing, okay, like, are we taking, is the land giving, or maybe it's just better said what we receive, that kind of makes it um, a little more generous to without identifying who the giver and the taker and those relationships are. Mm, I was awesome. really, really cautious on the even though, as I said, the narration is is the third element of this film. It's it's a dance film. The soundtrack is probably the second most important thing. The words on top to fill in the blanks are number three. That was something that I could have. It was my writing. It was it was every word was really considered and consulted. Nice. Yeah, that speaks to me so profoundly. Like if the, if I didn't have deadlines, I would just edit things forever. <laughs> you know, I would never stop because oh, yeah. like, you can always make things a little bit better. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's another film. I'm sure there's an hour long film. I'm sure there's a totally different film in what I have. Mm. But I just I had to decide and I made those decisions and I got it down to 15 minutes and 18 seconds. So that was the goal and it was accomplished and it might not be perfect. And yeah, I'd love to hear feedback if if people do have a, a totally different perception of it or a word that just doesn't re resonate. That would be great to hear. Um, cool. But it 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 had to be finished at a certain deadline because other people have to be involved and have jobs yeah. to do, of course. Yeah. But yeah, hard deadlines were. Uh, there's a reason why they're hard. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well said. Uh, question five. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh my God. There's a quote that I probably used from a little yearbook quote way back when in high school. And I think it was called dream not of today. Mm. And whether that means the future or whether that means the past, um, it's just like put yourself out of the now and just think bigger. So I probably live by that one the most. Love it. Uh, so sticking on the advice train, qu question six is what advice would you give to your 10 year old self if you could talk to her? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I was a 10-year-old, very interested in ancient worlds and traveling and camping and just being out on the land. So I've, yeah, I've accomplished those things. So I probably would have told her, like, you know, it's not going to be right away, but it, it will come. You know, I, I always, I probably wanted to live in a cabin since I was mm -hmm. 10 years old. 
And despite the, the cruelty of the pandemic, I got to fulfill that dream that I've had since I was a child. So it was, yeah, it was really nice. So cool. things will come. They're just not going to be, as a friend used to say, in the, the package that you expect. Beautiful. Uh, last question is, everyone says it's the hardest one, but uh, question seven, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, um, um, I think my ability to see both sides. I really enjoy um, hard like hard things about the past. I think, uh, you know, if in another life, I'd be a really good UN mediator because I, I can listen to both sides. I listen to podcasts that I don't agree with, mm. but I will sit and listen to them. It's not that I don't have anything better to do, but I'm not going to just shut off and put the hand up and say, nope, not listening to this. And that's getting a little scary now where yeah. people just put the hand up and then they stop unfollow so, click delete yeah erase done. someone if, if they disagree oh, with you you just delete done. them from your life no yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm I'm not gonna do that so I have this yeah bizarre uh capability of staying <laughs> really calm in really weird situations and I can really listen and I'm a really good observer so I mm. think yeah once I'm gone if I'm so lucky as to be remembered, because I'm an archaeologist, there's billions of people that haven't been. They just go. They have their life, and they go, and that's it. So if I'm lucky enough to be remembered, I think I'd want to be known that I that I really tried to listen to both sides. Even if I didn't agree personally or professionally, I'm still willing to hear you out. Beautiful. Hillary, Mac Hillary McDonald, filmmaker and creator of We Haven't Yet Said Thanks, also archaeologist and photographer, of course. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for creating your film for Cinematoba. Uh, and yeah, really appreciate your time. Okay, great. Thanks, Nolan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Because and Effect, and thank you for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't yet, please do so. It really helps us out, and you'll get every new episode delivered right to your phone or computer. All music on the show is produced by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To hear more about the foundation, visit wpgfdn.org or search at wpgfdn.org. FDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on social. Thanks again for listening. And remember, gratitude is a divine emotion. Bye-bye.